to Com- PW Comics World's weekly podcast of comics and graphic novel news. I'm Heidi McDonald, the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Tumblr, always at, at PW Comics World. Uh, so today, I am happy to be talking to David Ezra Stein. David, how are you? Hey, Heidi. Doing great. <laughs> nice to be with you. Yeah. Um, you are, uh, a children's book author, uh, who has dozens of books to your credit, award-winning books, honored Caldecott honor books, um, the list is so long. Uh, but you've just made your graphic novel debut, is that correct? Yeah. That's right. And, uh, with Beaky Barnes. Beaky Barnes, Egg on the Loose is the first book in the Beaky Barnes series. So there's another one coming out this fall called Beaky Barnes and the Devious Duck. <laughs> and that's as far as I've gotten so far, but hopefully there will be others as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously you've been doing children's books for years and um, had great success at it. So what made you want to switch to comics? Um, I come from a kind of comic background of, you know, as a kid, just loving comics and and ingesting as many comics as possible, especially funny comics as opposed to superhero comics. So like Calvin and Hobbes, Tintin, uh. Uh, Crazy Cat, and all kinds of, you know, more funny or Donald Duck kind of animal comics. Uh. Animals interacting with humans. So that happens in Beaky Barnes a lot. Um, and I wanted to, you know, have have some new outlets because I've done about 20 picture books. So to be able to bring a little more of my sense of irony and, you know, things that you would need a, a context for as a reader, it's a little bit older um, for older kids. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun to be able to kind of break into that realm of like referring to things like jobs or money or baking things or things that a little really little kid wouldn't know about mm-hmm. but just kind of skewering adulthood in general and almost like coming up with like a kid's point of view of what adulthood might be like mm-hmm. in terms of the characters in the book having this ridiculous life uh well the, it's it's set in a town called simpleton <laughs> Correct. And yeah, you, you kind of start out with a, a, a list of characters, uh, which sets it up. Uh, there's Beaky herself, who's a giant chicken, uh, the inventor, mm-hmm. uh, the chef, the elephant, I mean, all these different characters. And then uh, they, I, I would characterize it as a farcical romp of absurdism and eggs. Uh, you know, it's uh, the egg is the most precious thing for all these right. folks, right? Right. That's what brings everyone together in this web of um, desires and circumstances and I was thinking of it almost like an episode of Seinfeld where there's like this one object that everybody wants and it you know creates chaos and then eventually all the different threads resolve right right so how did you now I read a little bit about this and uh, I think that you said that this actually started out as a like a play or something different mm-hmm. format what was the genesis of the whole idea for Beaky Barnes 
Yeah, so I keep a sketchbook and I just write down whatever comes to mind every day. And one thing that popped up was this idea of like extremely short plays like that were so short that they probably couldn't be staged. But there's like these these scenarios where like the the cop says, uh, is that your chicken? And the lady says, yes, that's my chicken. Or your chicken's on my bicycle. And then the chicken lays an egg and he says, is that your egg? And that's kind of the end of the whole scene. <laughs> and it's like, oh, but I'm ching and then you, everybody claps. So I was kind of thinking that would be fun for kids to put on these really quick plays. But then I thought, well, let's, maybe that's not super realistic because of just how much staging you have to do for this short thing. So I had these like funny little seeds of an idea and then they, you know, a little bit later I decided I wanted to do a graphic novel and I started to create more scenes around those scenes and I like to write the dialogue and kind of sketch the action at the same time when I'm writing and generate these little scenes and then they started to kind of come together and become a bigger story. And after a lot, after a bunch of years, like three or four years working on other stuff, it, it kind of came together into pretty much its present form of all these characters interacting and like a town for them to be in. And the chicken is the smartest one out of anybody. So even though she doesn't really speak English, she only clucks. Like she's the one who's really the mastermind in the end. Oh. Right. Um, now, as you do graphic novels, I think, you know, one of the things you discover, and, you know, I was looking at some of your books, and the artwork is absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's so beautiful. And, well, um, and as I said, you know, you've, 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 you know, been honored and won awards for everything. The one thing when you switch to a graphic novel is you have to do a lot more drawings. <laughs> I've noticed that. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> How was that? How was that transition? Um, it's it's just so much like layout and designing the panels and you know positioning things on the page and what so what the overall page is going to look like and how that each page interacts. So in a thirty-two page picture book, it's you know much. It's just shorter, uh-huh. and there's usually one image per page or maybe one image per spread. And in this case, it's you know much more like a storyboard, and then calling out different things to make them bigger or a different shape panel. So there's all these decisions that I really enjoyed, but it took a long, long time to like lay out the design of the book or where the page turns are going to be, which panels would be emphasized, and then the actual <laughs> yeah, like inking everything. I realized a lot of times people will hire someone to color, but I didn't, I didn't do that. I just did everything except for, well, of course, the Penguin Workshop did a lot of design work mm-hmm. and end pages and like helping with some of the coloring when we wanted to change things. But in general, I just had to sit down and draw 128 pages of with like six panels on each for, and then paint them all by hand. <laughs> yeah, welcome yeah, to our world. Work. Welcome to our world, David. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I I I've, I think I've, I've probably told this anecdote on the podcast before, but um, for regular listeners, I apologize. But um, 
I, you know, I've edited comics in the past and, uh, you know, it's kind of a job and then I took a break from doing it and then, but when I got back into it, I kind of realized like, wow, we really, uh, I don't know, I'd taken a step back from the whole process and I'm like, wow, we're just asking people to draw five or six drawings on a page and each drawing has to be, you know, effective at the very least. Or awesomely perfect at the top, you know, and it's, it's so much effort. It is so, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot to, to ask of people. Mm-hmm. It's a little like animation and it's like filmmaking. I mean, I, that's what I like about it. I really think of, I think in terms of video or film in my head when I'm even thinking of a picture book. So I usually come up with like a storyboard first without any page breaks. And it's often just, it looks like a comic. And then I'll go and make that into a picture book or whatever I need to do. So I felt like this was more of my native language, which is really nice. And um, I tend to think of things in panels even. Like I have a picture book called Leaves that, where like there's, there's almost no full bleed pages. It's all in panels, uh-huh. but like a single panel per page. So it's kind of like a, order more than a panel but yeah there's an intimacy to that and there's a way that that affects designing the image that's inside the panel you know you're thinking about right. it existing within a box so it's more it's easier to think about how to design that mm-hmm. yeah i mean so i mean you have a second beaky burns book coming out and uh so yeah you're committed to this uh this format for a while are you are you like oh why why did i do that or are you excited about it i'm uh, very excited and i did i just finished the art about two months ago for Mm -hmm. the second book and i decided to do it a different way the second time with acrylic paint so it's like acrylic gouache and it just took forever but it was much more satisfying and like very saturated color so yeah sometimes i was sitting there thinking like why 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 do i have to paint so much (laughs) and painting is my favorite part really right you know just cranking out like 20 colors plus each color has its own shadow color so it was a ridiculous amount of colors and i had to make them by hand and i just prefer to paint by hand so you know, it's partly my fault mm. that I don't work in the computer, but I like it's satisfying to use a brush. Right. Well, it certainly, you know, it does have a completely different effect. Um, what did you do the first book with? What What was the medium for the first book's colors? Uh, I used watercolor, uh, and they were not like the most saturated watercolor, mm-hmm. so we had to bump them up a little bit in um, in Photoshop or whatever the designer used to to saturate them more mm-hmm. and it was much faster when I when I did it that time but the second time I was like no I can't do that to the designer again I have to just make it very saturated the first time mm. and you know I ended up with this acrylic method so are you telling me that in this day and age an artist sat there and actually painted 100 pages with a brush on paper is that what you're telling me yeah, <laughs> yeah, 128 pages of about. So each one has like six little paintings on it. <laughs> wow, wow! What do you do with your originals? Um, I still have them. They're they they went off to somewhere 
in like Ohio to get scanned and then came back mm-hmm. safely. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you 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 got you got there. Um, you did you? I mean, I'm I'm just guessing, but based on just what you told me, I'm guessing that you love to draw from a very early age. Yeah, I did. I I was always just drawing, and my mom would leave art supplies around, and she never said you have to draw or something, but she kind of left supplies around and paper around. So I I guess I. It was in the air, and I gravitated towards it, mm-hmm. and but, just kept on going. And you went to school to study art. Yeah, I did. I went to, actually went to Stuyvesant High School, mm-hmm. which is a math and science school, and then realized sometime in my sophomore year that I wanted to be an artist because I was like, and I was one of the only artists in my grade of about eight hundred kids. I think there was like three artists. Um, so it was a good contrast for me to just say, wait a minute, <laughs> I want to do art. So I, at an early age of like 15, I started going to the Art Students League and drawing from the model. And also Cooper Union had a bunch of like summer programs that I took in sculpture, photography, mm. uh, and drawing. So I really started to realize I belong in this tribe of artists. And then I went to Parsons School of Design for college. And, yeah, it was amazing, like, being with all these other artists who had sketchbooks that I could look into and see, like, inside their brains and see what they were thinking about and just cross-pollinate. That and, was... um, it, yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I go on. Took yeah. a, I took a year off right before my senior year because I wanted to think about what I wanted to do after college and make sure it didn't happen too soon. (laughs) And when I came back, I really ended up in a great class of kids who were all very um, ambitious and interested in the material. And, like, I really enjoyed being with them and decided to take an elective one, I think it was the second semester. I was like, I'll just take a children's book elective and see if that's any good. Just a little voice in my head telling me to try that. And, so Pat Cummings was my teacher, who's, you know, a working uh-huh. and celebrated children's book author and illustrator. So when I saw her, I was like, she does this as a living, and I could do this for a living too. <laughs> and she was incredibly generous and, like, let me come back to the class after I graduated and meet editors. And so after a little while, after a few years of writing a whole bunch of stuff and pitching it to people. I sold my first book and that was, and then that was it. Well, that was the beginning. <laughs> mm, right. Right. Yeah. I, I was going to say though, that, um, uh, obviously, I mean, New York still, I, I, I live very close to SVA actually. And, uh, it's funny. I just had lunch with a friend who went to SVA to be an illustrator and, uh, you know, he was talking a little bit about his, his time there and, you know, local landmarks and everything. But it is true. I mean, you, the, it, it's really the connections. I just like the, 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 the people who come to, you know, people come from all over the world really to go to art school in New York City and, you know, the connections you make and the inspirations you get is, it's, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a wonderful thing. Yeah, that was probably the best thing. And, and the teachers were really just other 
artists who wanted to share with you how they did things and encourage you and like you know see things in you that you couldn't see yet in yourself and so it was a, it was a great uh hive of creativity yeah and like connections and we learned how to be critiqued how to take criticism and and not like completely explode from, from having <laughs> someone point out what could be better about your work. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> you know? right. That's one of the most important lessons. Skill. Yeah. Right. You know, what's interesting about the transition probably from, from this period till now is that probably, I'm just guessing that when, when you went to school, probably comics were not considered, you know, the glamour profession or were considered, you know, Maybe a little low life. I don't know. What was what was the attitude towards uh, the you know the cartoon majors at that point? Um, I don't know if Parsons had that. It was like part of the illustration right. department which I was in, but we but I did read the Village Voice, and there were all these like underground comics in there, and there was another paper uh, that was like even less <laughs> less mainstream than the Village Voice. That I forget what it was oh, called. Oh, the New but, York Press. Yeah, the New York Press. So they had these comics were raunchy and they were gross and they were like interesting. I think Linda Barry was in there and like Kaz and other and um, Tony Millionaire. Oh, so yeah. those those were like the big influence at the time and just seeing how like out there they were and how the beautiful the different visual styles were and they were, some of them were very like you know, messy lines or, uh-huh. or very old fashioned looking, you know, there's all different textures that were interesting. So yeah, that, that was a big formative thing for me, just reading those. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess what I was getting at though is also that, you know, at that time, um, I mean, I've talked about this. I actually have a few friends who teach at Parsons now and we, we talk about this and, um, you know, illustration, itself has become you know it's it's definitely a profession that isn't as remunerative as it used to be um although making children's books is still you know there's still a need for children's books which is wonderful and amazing um and comics have kind of become you know a much bigger market or a much bigger you know way to make a living for for artists now and you know it's funny that you said you kind of had this this uh-huh. comics making dream because i i have talked to a bunch of people who were like yeah you know what I, I went to school and i wanted to make comics but you know i wanted to illustration because it was the only way to make money and now it's kind of the other way around <laughs> yeah I, I mean that's just how it happens for me but i do think like i i did want to be a cartoonist when I was a kid and I actually inherited the drawing board of a of some cartoonist that I that lived in my building and so it kinda of had like his spirit in it I think. And I would do like um when the Clarence Thomas hearings were happening when I was like thirteen, I would do political cartoons, mm-hmm. what I thought were good political cartoons about what I was seeing on T V to try to process, you know, mm-hmm. understand what these people were talking about. And yeah, when I, when I, I had a connection at the New Yorker, so I sold a couple of cartoons early on after school, after college, got in there a couple of times. And it wasn't like, yeah, it wasn't like a hugely high paying thing, but it was really exciting to 
to be there with like Morty Gerberg and has his <laughs> had his How to Cartoon book at home, and then I met him. Right. Right. Like, wow, I'm really here, sitting in the waiting room, <laughs> waiting to see the cartoon editor. Right. So that was cool. And it was kind of, and even the editor told me, you know, most young people don't want to do this anymore. It's not like the cool thing uh, for young artists to do. But it seemed like it, it seemed like there was a new crop of people who came in at that time and um, kind of slowly took over and became like the published ones. Huh. Interesting. I, 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 I feel like I have, you know, with the pandemic and everything, there hasn't been as many get togethers and, um, SVA has for their cartoon majors, it has, uh, um, a little comics fest called Fresh Meat every year, which I, I haven't been to. And, uh, I was just thinking, I'm, I'm sure they'll have it this year. And I'm like, man, I really need to go. I need to see what, what, you know, what a contemporary cartoonist want to do, because it goes in waves, you know, like, like, if, at first it was superhero comics, like everybody wanted to do superhero comics, you know, and it was all guys. And now it's mostly girls, and they want to do, like, web comics, or like, I mean, graphic novels for kids, like you're talking about, and, you know, it just changes. Every generation has, has a different aspiration, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's like what you love to read and what I mean that's what happened for me it's just and by the time I got to do this graphic novel I've built up so many decades of influences and things that I really are like all rattling around in there wanting to come together so yeah it felt like a homecoming to be able to just get it all out there and be in that world but I would love to meet a lot more cartoonists too that that would be cool well, they, now that I am one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, that's the funny thing. It's like all you need to do to, you know, be in the comics community is make a comic, and then you're in. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, I mean, you mentioned earlier some of your influences, like you know, Crazy Cat, George Harriman, and everything. And and your kids' books, mm-hmm. as well as Beaky uh, Barnes, uh, you know, a lot of animal protagonists. Um, what is it yeah. about that 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 attracts you to you know telling these stories with animals? I think, I mean, my theory is that I had stuffed animals when I was a kid and I, and I kept like being attached to them pretty late until I was like nine years old or something. So I would tell stories with them. I would interview them. I had a little, it was like before podcasts, but I had a little fake radio show that I did with a tape recorder. Oh my God. So I would interview like my sister and her stuffed animals and I would interview my stuffed animals. And imaginary mice that lived under the bed and whatever. So. Oh my God, that's. So I have cute. like callers. Call, callers would call in, and they were just us pretending to be someone else. And yeah. I still have the, some of those tapes somewhere. <laughs> did, you, but, um, did, yeah, your, did your Did your Did your Did your parents peep in on you and say, "Oh, look, he's doing his radio show again"? I don't know. I, mean, I had a single <laughs> mom, so she was like. She was always busy, so I'm not sure if she was maybe cracking the door a little bit. I, I guarantee you, she did it once. She, she must have done it once. Um, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny how how kids are so creative. You know, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. I I I don't know if you've seen the Fablemans, but you know, it's kind of an interesting story about Steven Spielberg and you know his mom is kind of encouraging him, but his dad is like, "Why are you going to get a real job?" You know, and but kids. 
always, you know, kids are creative creatures. It's, it's they, they make, they draw, they, they act, they sing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is like not knowing what the world is really like and trying to, you know, fill in the blanks of the stuff that you don't understand. Maybe no. just saying, well, it must be this, you know, and then, and you find out what it's really like. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but you, but that's where the creativity is like until the information arrives. Right. Right. Yeah. Now you've mentioned that you, you, your kids books, you, you rewrite quite a bit. You do many, many drafts. Um, uh, did you do a lot of, uh, you know, was it a lot of work writing or laying out Beaky Burns? Uh, first one was kind of, I did like cut a lot of stuff because I just had too many, too many scenes, but I, I wrote in kind of modules and put them together. So, and then the second book was a lot harder to write because I was just writing it like to write another one. So mm-hmm. it's not as much of like the original impetus to be like inspired. So, but I did have a lot of ideas for the second one kind of floating around. So yeah, I ended up writing something that was about two, two times too long. And I even drew the whole thing out because I, I had the sketches. So I had this like 200 page thing. And I was like, oh man, and it had so many storylines. It had like the wedding and other, there was like two, they had the wedding and the devious duck in the same book. And then I realized, oh man, I gotta, I have to cut this and just take out the whole wedding storyline. So it was like two episodes in one. And yeah, it took a lot of work to, to winnow that down and but it really you know was a good process it ended up being so much stronger from having gone through all those revisions and ideas and kind of like the the essential ideas became very solidified and clear and told themselves to me in a very uh accessible way that was largely visual visual so you know there was a lot more dialogue and writing in the beginning and then just I realized it's a visual medium so you know you can say a lot with just a character coming in and going ha 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 or something you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to say exactly what they're thinking or... right that's a beat it's, it's it's it is you know it is just that timing that 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 you know that beat yeah um do you, what what attracts you to an idea I mean, what, you know, yeah, what, what inspires you or, you know, what gives you an idea that when you, when you hit, it sounds like, you, you know, you keep notebooks and everything, but when, what, what, how do you know when you've hit on uh, an idea that you're going to develop? Uh, it makes me laugh or it's just like a weird idea that it's something that I've thought, I don't know, that just, I'm like, where did that come from? And so this book is full of, weird ideas that kind of all relate to each other. And I have like a grandfather who is an inventor. So I think that's the, that's part of where it comes from. Mm. Like these kind of useless ideas that are weird and interesting. And then I tried to find a way to weave them all together into a story like, you know, glow in the dark sunglasses or chicken pedicabs. Hmm. Um, Right things that won't leave me alone. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with it, but it's too weird and interesting to, to just throw away. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And right. then other times with, with picture books, I guess it's more of a, 
kind of an essay or wondering about something, feelings, you know. And there's definitely a lot of that in graphic novel too. Like there's a character who thinks great ideas are the best thing you can have, but then she realizes, well, her friend is hurting because one of her of one of her ideas and she really should apologize to her friend. And that's more important. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, they, yeah, they, they, these emotions come out too in these situations that, you know, we all relate to. Um, not to wade into the, you know, controversy du jour, but, uh, it, a lot of things you're talking about, uh, reminded me of some conversations I've had recently about AI art. Are you following that at all? <laughs> yeah, I've seen the headlines and yeah. I know some people are like on social media are protesting and yeah i i guess it seems scary to have this thing that can make like an oil painting in two seconds or less than two seconds that looks impressive yeah. and has a lot of lights and darks and well, what, you know all you have to do is type in a few words right but I, I think what's interesting about what you've been saying just about your process is is i mean i've been talking to people who are like oh you can you know ai comics they'll will, they'll be making ai comics and and they will absolutely but it's like you can't you know it's it's just it's the little things it is the little storytelling it's it just you know the way the panel is composed it's it's the gesture, that very subtle gesture or expression that we love about comics. And I'm just not, I, I, I don't think you'll ever be able to train an AI to nail that, you know. And uh, I mean, I have talked to some people and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, and then I went in and fixed it. And I was like, oh, you went in and fixed it. I see. So, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, it yeah, does. I, I, I think I'd like to be on your side and say, yeah, I think. There's so much humanity that that's what we respond to, like the humanity that goes into something and the, and the fact that all these ideas and feelings were filtered through a person who has a life, who lives in the world, who, you know, observes people, observes feelings, observes what, what the world looks like and feels like and sounds like and, you know, has something to say about their own experience. I don't, I don't think AI has an experience or a point of view. So yeah, I hope, hopefully, hopefully that I think it's a question of the audience. Like, do they, would they be satisfied to read something that is sort of a, a mishmash of everything that's ever been created, just filtered through a artificial intelligence? Or do they want to read something that's really personal and comes from someone's actual life experience? Mm. I think it'll be like uh, Mad Max Fury Road or Top Gun Maverick. You know, we're so we, we see so much CGI, and then when people walked into the theater to see either of those movies. They were just like, wow, that was incredible. They're like shaken, you know, like I'm, sh- I was shaken after I came out of Fury Road and Top Gun Maverick too. And, you know, I don't think I was even aware at the time that both of them had been shot in camera, you know, just subconsciously. I think I, re- that's what I was reacting to. So, uh, I, I think yeah. you're right. I think what you just said is very, very true that, you know, it's the humanity that we connect with. 
Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, we're not at that point where a robot can do that. But maybe they, <laughs> maybe they will at some point. Yeah, yeah Skynet. I, I just hope they keep us around. <laughs> I'll have to find a new trick to do. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, one, one last question. Uh, a lot of your books are about chickens. Why? What's the chicken <laughs> connection? Yeah, people, I gave a copy to my nephew and he said, you really like chickens. <laughs> He's six. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just funny. I think the, the way they sound and the way they look and the way they walk and, you know, there's some kind of like manic energy about them where they're always like, they're always anxious and they're kind of like, <laughs> and they're creative because they lay eggs and, um, the word chicken is funny. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm hitting the, the chicken's pretty hard, so I'll probably do something else after this. But <laughs> yeah, just, I think I have a lot of chickens in my brain. <laughs> well, uh, there's certainly a, a lot of awesome chicken action in, in uh, Beaky Barnes and uh, Beaky Barnes One, uh, Beaky Barnes and the Egg on the Egg on the Loose, uh, and then what's the next one? The Dastardly Duck. The devious duck. The devious duck. Well, we could only imagine. Our imaginations <laughs> are running wild with what that will be. And uh, just as your own imagination has been running wild. Wow, that was a segue. <laughs> like, I'm almost a professional. Incredible. Um, so, uh, but David, this is great. It's great talking to you and, uh, about your your uh, entree to the world of graphic novels. And I have a feeling we'll see some more from you uh, besides uh, chickens. You know, more animals to come, as we like to say. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Heidi. That was really a nice conversation. <laughs> and thanks for welcoming me to the world of comics. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> my absolute pleasure. And as we always say here, there will be more to come.